Trust me, I'm like a smart person. From The Conversation, this is Trust Me, I'm an Expert, a podcast where we ask the academic experts to help us dig a little deeper behind the news headlines. I'm Sananda Cray. This week, you would have heard that Prime Minister Scott Morrison had revealed that what he called a sophisticated state actor had targeted the big Australian political parties in a major cyber attack. The networks of some political parties, Liberal, Labor and Nationals, have also been affected. Political parties are small organisations. With only a few full-time staff, yet they collect, store and use large amounts of information about voters and communities. It's still not clear exactly what data was taken or who did it, and China has strenuously rejected speculation it was involved. So what are we to make of this? How vulnerable is our data and our democracy? To find out, I spoke to an Australian expert on the intersection of crime, technology and society. My name is Nigel Fair. I'm Director, UNSW Canberra Cyber. I spoke to Nigel Fair at his office in Canberra this week. I think when you look at the history with the attack in the US on uh, the DNC and a lot that's been reported in the US about nation states trying to infiltrate the election process over there and um, change people's voting happens and where some weeks slash months off of an election here, it really strikes at the heart of what could be um, our dear loved democracy when you have nation state actors trying to uh, influence voting outcomes. And what do you think this week's events tell us about the cybersecurity weaknesses here in Australia? It tells us that no organisation is immune. It tells us that cyber is another vector for people trying to win the hearts and minds of people. You know, if I was a, a, a sophisticated nation state using this as a strategy to achieve that goal, how might this sort of hack help me achieve that goal? What do you think they were actually trying to do here? Well, there's a number of things that they've achieved. Firstly, is the goal of doing the hack. When we look at Parliament House, when we look at the political parties, when we think about where they're revered from a democratic perspective, just merely having a breach is quite a big deal. Secondly, you look at the information that they hold. Political parties have information on donors, who they are, how much they give and what they want for it. They have information on the electorate. They have information on their own party politics and tactics for um, Senate estimates, for um, question time, those sorts of things. It's a lot of rich data that you could then use as a nation state to infiltrate other areas to perhaps change voter outcomes. China has strongly denied that it was involved, but that you know a lot of speculation has focused on that country as opposed to you know Russia or another state actor that's been linked to this kind of behavior in other contexts. I mean, in Australia, why do you think speculation has focused on China as a potential perpetrator? Basically because they're a near neighbor to ours. Uh, they're in our arc of you know instability. They're well known for their theft of intellectual property online, and they're well known for not adhering to the international norms of cyberspace. Um, add that all up, and that's why people keep pointing the finger at them. I believe there's news reports that China was linked to other previous hacks of you know, universities and parliament and other key pieces of computer infrastructure around Australia. Is that right? That's right. They've been well known to do a range of cyber attacks um, on a range of different organisations, government, non-government, commercial, etc. 
So in the context of concerns that Australians have about the government's capacity to keep our personal information safe, and I'm thinking here about, you know, the talk around my health record, you know, the census, what does this hack tell us, if anything, about how capable the government and the people in power are at guiding our private details? I think we need to go back a couple of steps before we start to think about this. And government, what they haven't done is taken the citizenry um, of Australia on a journey. They haven't explained to them what it means to participate in the digital economy, what it means to be a good online citizen and transact with government and social media, um, commercially, you know, e-commerce, all those sorts of things. And if we had that narrative from the outset and people could understand that the internet is just another public place where they act ethically and lawfully and responsibly like they do in the real world, then I think we wouldn't be having this discussion because people would be able to have an informed decision about what it means to participate with an e-health record or participate in an online census or other government instruments. But at the moment, we, we, we just have never had that background and people don't have the certainty. And because of that, they make knee-jerk reactions. I mean, where do you land on this issue? Do you think the government is capable of keeping that data safe? I think the government is capable of keeping it safe. Um, the systems around the the My Health record, for example, are, are really quite secure and there is a lot of technology, there's a lot of process and a lot of policy to ensure it. But the reality is if there is going to be a breach of a My Health record, it will probably happen at a doctor's surgery where there's a an unpatched or unprotected computer or a user not using a, a good password um, or accidentally emailing the wrong patient's records to someone. It will be that end-user compromise which we'll see will be the failure. And that's what the government isn't investing in. It's great to say they have a great secure system themselves, but again, we need to wind the clock back several years and start telling people this is what it means. Just this hack, how might it have been actually perpetrated? Can you just explain that to me in really basic terms? Well, we, we don't know yet until the forensic examination is done about how it occurred. Um, invariably, it was most probably some sort of social engineering attack against someone on the network, most probably a phishing attack or something similar where a person is targeted rather than the network itself is targeted. But again, until we, we know the forensics, we, we, we are just speculating. Of course, yeah. And those phishing and social engineering attacks, am I right in thinking they mainly focus on trying to uh, get somebody to reveal their, their password or their login details to a- another person who is perhaps impersonating somebody else or impersonating an official password reset type email? or Is that the sort of thing you mean there about the social engineering? Invariably, yeah. they're quite unsophisticated attacks. Um, it's spoofing an organisation or a person, getting someone, an end user, to reveal login credentials. And because we share passwords across multiple logins, that's how you gain access to a trophy asset. Ah, so the lesson there for all of us really is uh, never reuse your password details and uh, get a password manager. Am I am I right? You are right. <laughs> You know, we've had some uh, commentators saying that, you know, this is the new normal, this type of attack really should be expected in this day and age. What do you think about that? Um, it's been the new normal for quite some time. The reality is most organisations that get hacked just don't know they've been hacked. This is all of a sudden a trophy matter. It's come at a time when Parliament is sitting, so it's really got some attention in society, which is a great thing. And added to that, you've got the government that's come out and actually said this is what's happened, and that is a completely different policy shift, whereas before it was once swept under the carpet. 
And do you think that's a positive policy shift? It's a great positive. We need to start having the conversation about what it means to be online and what it means to participate. And the fact is there's countries out there, there's actors out there trying to do us harm. And, you know, Australians need to be brought into that confidence. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about this at the start of this week, but it really has sort of uh, shifted off the news headlines toward the end of the week. And some people are now saying, well, you know, that was a lot of noise over what? I've seen some media commentators saying that, you know, this was uh, an announcement that fed into a narrative of fear um, as Election Day draws closer. And that is a criticism that's been directed at uh, the government in the past in their rhetoric around, you know, border control and security in more gen- in more general terms. To what extent do you see this announcement as about safety and awareness and how much of it is politics? I couldn't put a percentage on either way, but I, th- I focus purely on the safety and awareness side of it. I just think that's the value of the message, is the safety and awareness. It's an important message to get out to, to make people aware of those risks and, uh, and, as you say, bring them into that conversation around online security and online participation in a globally networked world. So what needs to be done? What should governments do to reduce risks and, uh, and educate people? So the first thing for their own internal networks, they need to do a proper risk management exercise. They need to identify the key data assets they hold and work out how sensitive that information is and put appropriate controls around where that data sits, You know, whether it's a technology stack, um, whether it's internal, cloud-based, those sorts of decisions. And secondly, who has access to it, why they have access to it and how they access it. And once we start doing some simple things like that, that's, you'll find the cybersecurity posture of, a, of a, a parliament house or a political party or indeed anyone else in corporate Australia can really change the way that um, they're viewed from a cybersecurity perspective. And if, and I, I know this is speculation, but if the source of the problem was you know, somebody sharing their login credentials or being you know, victim to a phishing scam or victim to some social engineering, then it sounds like it's possible that some education is needed around that issue and what to be aware of and how not to get tricked online. Look, it's a tough one. Um, there aren't sufficient technical controls to, uh, to protect our data and ourselves online. And in fact, we shouldn't look for any technical silver bullet. Likewise, we know education doesn't work either, but education is all we have. So all we can keep doing is reinforcing the messages, particularly amongst the young people, as they grow up and participate in the online economy. And uh, hopefully, as time goes on, uh, we'll be better protected for it. So in other words, uh, not forgetting to address the the capacity for human error in our effort to cover off and protect ourselves from technical error. uh, Human error, but also the use of third parties and uh, and outlying people uh, that you might not have specific command and control over. And going back to this week's hack, you know, if I'm an individual who has, you know, given my details as a as a donor or as a supporter to a political party, you know, what does this hack tell us about what we as individuals might do in future to protect our data? Well, if you think you've been um, a loss of your data through this process, the first thing we do to contact the party that you've made, say the donation or whatever it might be too. Secondly, would be to start thinking about how that data or information that's been stolen might be used against you, whether it's identity theft or takeover, for example. So you need to start monitoring your bank accounts. You need to start thinking about 
consumer credit that might be done in your name. So you should be probably doing a credit reference check. What advice do you give to people who want to use best practice in keeping their details safe online? The best thing you can do is use um, strong and long passwords. The more uh, stealthy it is, the harder it will be to guess by anyone else. Secondly, don't replay the same password across multiple logins. Thirdly, be really wary when online and navigating around social media and e-commerce and other places. Really think about where you put your personal information in and why you're placing it into a particular website or a portal. Now, in the US, we've heard about state actors, uh, you know, really appearing to have an influence on election outcomes. How concerned do you think Australians should be about that happening here? I think we should be very concerned. We've got great case study from the US and we're very allied to the US. And when you look at, you know, nation states that have uh, disrupted that election, I think it's a given that there's many out there that will disrupt ours. So what can we do about that? It's a tough one. We need to really start working with all the players involved. And this is where the social media companies come into it. Your Googles, your Facebooks, your Twitters, your Instagrams, etc. Because that's the place, the um, choice that uh, nation states will use to start sending out their own bespoke messaging. Should we be changing any progression we're making in Australia towards electronic voting? We have zero progression towards electronic voting, unfortunately, and I think it's a great thing, but because we had uh, the census failure, because we had the robo-debt issues, because we had the my health issues, um, as a population, there's no way in my generation that we will see electronic voting. We just won't countenance it, and I think that's quite a disappointing thing. I'm a pro-online guy and it's we, we doom and gloom everything online too much and you know, I'm guilty for doing that. But we want people to participate online and indeed um, we're great and early adopters of mobile smart devices and we love being online itself. So it makes sense for service delivery to be online. It makes sense to order your food online, to do social media, participate in everything. There's a lot of good benefits out of it. But because we hear this messaging all the time about the government can't Um, deal with online issues, there's already this level of distrust and dissatisfaction out there that voting will just be another one of those things. And uh, the facts just don't support that. Would there be anything that you'd change about the way political parties and collect or are allowed to collect data on people, given that they seem to be a a perfect target or a growing target? Oh, there's lots I'd change. And primary to that is the uh, Privacy Act and adherence to the privacy principles of which political parties don't need to. In what way? What change would you make? Well, I'd ensure that political parties have to adhere to uh, the privacy principles when it comes to the the collection, the storage, retention and dissemination of uh, personally identifying information. And what are the privacy principles? Well, the privacy principles, there's 13 of them, inform organisations in Australia where they have a turnover of more than $3 million about how they should collect data, how they should store that data, how they should disseminate it and how they should destroy it. There's um, some simple advice that's provided by the Australian Office of the Information Commissioner and they are quite easy to adhere to but unfortunately political parties are exempt from that and uh, I see that as being a bad thing. So We're at a point where I guess you'd have to assume that basically anybody could be a target for a hack and any organisation could be. So what options are there for organisations, you know, like political parties that don't have, you know, my health record 
level of security setups or you know government scale security setups? Well, the first thing they have to do is acknowledge that they're a target, and then they have to go through a risk-based process to uh, understand what their information assets are, what their technology stack is, and who has access to it, and make sound investment decisions around that. We can no longer, as a society, just say, it's not us that gets hacked, it's always someone else, and there is a cost to participating online. Nigel Fair, thank you so much for talking to us. Pleasure, Sonny. Trust Me, I'm an Expert is a podcast from The Conversation, where we ask academic experts to surprise, delight and inform us with their research. Our episode today featured Nigel Fair from UNSW. It was recorded by me, Sananda Cray, and edited by Wes Mountain. You're probably used to seeing Trust Me turn up in your podcast app at the start of every month, but we're putting out a few more regular episodes, so stay tuned. Our theme beats are from Uncle Ho from Elephant Tracks. And you can see a full list of credits on our website at theconversation.com.